when you uh, study the Bible, there are many different, many different ways to do that. Um, we believe that the Bible is a literal book. I hope you do. I know Brother Paul does, but I hope everybody else in here does. Um, we believe the Bible is a literal book. You, that makes us very unique. Most people who say that they are uh, that they believe the Bible would not say that they believe that it is a literal book. We believe, literally, that a man stood with a, a staff and the Red Sea parted. Most people don't believe that. We believe that a fish swallowed a man. I hope you believe that. Most people, that is one of the most attacked stories and scriptures in all of the Bible. Um, we believe that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. Literally. And we believe that same man is coming back again. We believe literally what this book says. And when you study the Bible, you can take it for what it's worth. You can take it at its word. It is a literal book. But there are many other ways that you can study the Bible. You can study the Bible in a historical way. Um, that's most often done in the Old Testament. Um, you can study the Bible in a doctrinal way. Principles that we are to, to learn um, that uh, define what we believe. The, Paul wrote about many of those in the New Testament. You can study the Bible in a practical way. Not uh, everything is um, historical that you read in the Bible. Things have a, can have a, not just a historical uh, application, they can have a practical application as well. Um, there are prophetical ways to study the Bible. Um, the, the major and the minor prophets are prophetical. The book of Revelation is a prophetical while still being a literal book. Um, and the, what I want to look at, uh, one of the ways I want to study the Bible tonight with you, if you'll allow me the privilege, is uh, you can study the Bible through typology. There are many uh, types in the Bible that are... Uh, comparisons from which we can learn. For example, um, throughout your Bible, uh, there are many people who are types of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Isaac, for example. Uh, Abraham is a type of God the Father. Uh, Joseph is a type of Jesus. Um, there are many of those. Um, objects can be type of, uh, type of something, uh, Jesus is refer, referred to as being a stone, a cornerstone. Um, throughout, throughout the New Testament, you will find the, the constant typology of men as trees. Men as trees. Um, we are to bear fruit, are we not? Trees bear fruit. It's a typology. Uh, Galatians chapter 5 talk, uh, talks about how things can be an allegory. And tonight, I want to look at an object that, uh, to be honest, I don't know a lot about. Um, 
Maybe you don't either. But there are many types uh, that this thing can uh, be compared to that I feel that we can learn from this evening. And that is a ship. A ship. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been on a cruise ship. I've heard great things. I personally have never been on a cruise ship. Um, Most people that I've talked to that have been speak favorably of it. Um, I know I've seen on YouTube a video of some uh, cargo ship going up like this and down like that on some huge waves. And I don't ever want to be in that situation. Um, I don't know a lot about ships, but ships can be, in in Scripture, can be a type of many things. The first ship in your Bible uh, that's mentioned is Noah's Ark. And it is a great type of the Lord Jesus. It is also a great type of the church. Um, that ark, that ship provided shelter. That, ark pro- that, that ship provided safety and security from God's judgment on the earth. It's, it, it, and that's what Jesus is for those who choose to, to go in through His door That's what Jesus is. He can provide that shelter, that safety, that security from the storms of life. That's what the church should be for all those who come in her doors. A place of safety and security from the storms of life. From the storms of life. But tonight I want to look at four different ships. And they're all broken. They're broken ships. And three of them you're probably very familiar with. And so we will look at the most unfamiliar first. If you would, take your Bible to the second book of the Chronicles in chapter 20. We find our first broken ship. And tonight I want to look at these four different ships as a type of direction that we can go in our lives, um, attitudes that we can have even. And in Second Chronicles chapter 20, and I want you to look please, if you would, in verse 35. I still hear pages turning, so I'll take a sip of water. In Second Chronicles chapter 20, and in verse 35, the Bible says, And after this... The Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. Now, I'll stop right there and give you a little context. If you remember, after Solomon, the nation of Israel was divided into two kingdoms. You have the nation of the kingdom of Israel, and then you have Judah. Now, King Jehoshaphat is the king over the over Judah, which is the smaller part of the divided nation of Israel. All right, king of Judah joined himself with Ahaziah, king of Israel. So we have the two kings here in our verse who did very wickedly. Verse 36, And he joined himself with him to make ships to go to Tarshish, and they made the ships in Ezion-Geber. Then Eliezer, the son of Dodavah of Merisha, prophesied against Jehoshaphat, saying, Because thou hast... Join thyself with Ahaziah, the Lord hath broken thy works. And the ships were broken. 
that they were not able to go to Tarshish. Broken ships. Broken ships. This king, and I, before we start looking at this, this, these ships that were broken, I want to tell you a little bit about King Jehoshaphat. He's the king of Judah, the smaller part of the nation Israel. He's a good king. He's a good king. We find over there, if you want to turn a few pages back, to chapter 17, that he is a prosperous king. We find that in verses 12 and 13. Jehoshaphat waxed great exceedingly, and he built in Judah castles and cities of store, and he had much business in the cities of Judah, and the men of war, mighty men of valor, were in Jerusalem. He is a prosperous king. Uh, The Bible further talks about that God gave him rest. In his kingdom, look in verse 3, if you will, of chapter 17. And the Lord was with Jehoshaphat. Why? Because he walked in the first ways of his father David and sought not unto Balaam. Uh, Look at verse 4. But sought to the Lord God of his father and walked in his commandments and not after the doings of Israel. In chapter 18, we find also that King Jehoshaphat is able to discern the difference between a false prophet and a prophet of the Lord. He's a good king. He is seeking after God. He is um, worshiping God. He sets in order the government of the, of the nation of Judah. So, and he looks at them, all, he sets judges up and he tells them that they are to serve the Lord and to judge Israel with a perfect heart. He is, his heart is in the right place. His heart is in the right place. Look in chapter 17, verse 1. And Jehoshaphat, uh, his son, reigned in his stead and strengthened himself against Israel. Against Israel. He is fortifying himself against his brethren who are doing wickedly. What I'm trying to say is that King Jehoshaphat, he's a good king. He's a good king. He He is trying to seek after God. And, but... Jehoshaphat got on this broken ship. He got on the broken ship of alliance. He made alliances with people he shouldn't have. We heard about that Sunday night, did we not? Another way of referring to alliances is being, we heard Sunday night being knit together. An alliance is a, a union. You know, it's, it's important who you unite with. It's important who you unite with uh, for life in terms of a mate. It's important who you unite with as a church. It's important who you unite with as a friend. It's important who you unite with as if you have many co-workers or your boss. It's important with whom you make alliances. And King Jehoshaphat wasn't always on this broken ship of alliance. We saw that in verse 1 of chapter 17. He strengthened himself against Israel. But if you would look just to the next chapter, chapter 18. In verse 1 we find that Jehoshaphat joined an alliance with Ahab... But I want you to see the progression. Verse 2, and after certain years. This didn't happen overnight with King Jehoshaphat. This took time. 
This was a progression. Look at verse 3. At the end of verse 3, the Bible says that he was persuaded. He, Jehoshaphat was persuaded over many years' time to form wrong alliances. And, but that's not the alliance that we're looking at. If you go back to chapter 20, we are not, the, his ships, his works were not broken because he made alliances with Ahab. He got into trouble with Ahab and he, God reproved him, sent, sent a prophet to him and he repented. But his ships and his works were not broken because of an alliance with Ahab. Look at verse 35. After this did Jehoshaphat king of Judah join himself with who? Ahaziah. Ahaziah. Who is Ahaziah? This is Ahab's son. This is Ahab's son. First thing I want to say about this ship of alliance, it was easy for Jehoshaphat to make. Why? Because he'd already done it the first time. He'd already gone down this road of making alliances with people he shouldn't. And he, yes, he repented and God forgives, but it was so much easier for him to make another alliance with Ahab's son. The ties were already made. The first time around. And it was easy just to join back up again with someone who the Bible says at the end of verse 35 did very wickedly. Not only was this ship easy to get onto, but this ship of alliance was made with his own enemy. With his own enemy. The Bible says that Ahaziah was wicked. He He walked in the ways of his father Ahab, who was one of the worst kings in all the nation of Israel, uh, further over, I believe over in uh, uh, Second Kings, earlier in the book, the Bible says that uh, King Ahaziah sought after Beelzebub to find out if he was going to die. This man is very wicked. He is an enemy of Jehoshaphat. And he kind, Jehoshaphat kind of took the the old proverb, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. That's very unwise. The enemy, let me tell you, the enemy of your enemy is not your friend. The enemy of your enemy is still your enemy. I, I don't know if that just went over your head. If it's your enemy, it's your enemy. There's a term in geopolitical... Um, in, di- in diplomacy and those kind of things, I read about today that uh, Winston Churchill determined, termed this in, in, in dealing with this phrase, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. It's called an unholy alliance. Even in diplomacy, it's called unholy. To make your enemy your friend. He was very wicked. In 1 Kings chapter 22, the Bible says that Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as thou art. My people as thy people, my horses as thy horses. And I want to say, no, you're not. No, you're not, Jehoshaphat. You were trying to seek the Lord. You were trying to, to follow in the, in the footsteps of your father, David. You are not trying. You are not the same person as Ahab. You are not the same person as Ahaziah. And so the end... Of this alliance, in verse 37 we find, 
Because thou hast joined thyself with Ahaziah, the Lord hath broken thy works, and the ships were broken, that they were not able to go to Tarshish. God destroyed all of the accomplishments. He he destroyed the works of Jehoshaphat because of this alliance. What I find interesting is in verse 36, the Bible says that the ships were made in Ezion-Geber. Ezion-Geber. If you look at the comparison passage over in the Kings of this, we find there's an interesting fact here. They weren't just made. These ships weren't just made in Ezion-Geber. The Bible says that they were broken in Ezion-Geber. You know what that tells me? These ships never touched the water. They were broken. God broke those ships because of that alliance where they stood. They never even got to uh, sail out into the winds of the Mediterranean. They never got to go get that gold of Ophir that they were designed to do. God broke those ships right where they were in the port and they never left. And may I say to you that if you were to be like King Jehoshaphat of Judah and to get on this broken ship of poor alliances, that God will break your works and destroy your accomplishments, no matter how good or good things you may have done for Him. And they will never leave port. They will never leave and fulfill their desires. The ship of alliance. Let's look at the second ship. I have to hurry. If you would, turn to the book of Jonah. I told you you would be familiar with the rest of these. You have Hosea, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, chapter 1. We find another broken ship. In Jonah chapter 1 and verse 4, the Bible says, But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea. And there was a mighty tempest in the sea so that the ship was likely to be broken. Another broken ship. I call this ship the ship of defiance. This is a ship of defiance. It is a ship of disobedience. It is a ship of rebellion. It is a ship against God. In verse 3, we see the the trajectory that this ship has taken in Jonah's life. In verse 3, we find that uh, he he has been told to go to Nineveh, as we know very well, and that he chooses to go to Tarshish. Nineveh is in modern-day Iraq, and Tarshish is in southern Spain. It's about as far away as you can get from Nineveh in this time period in the world. The trajectory that Jonah has taken on this ship of defiance against God is completely opposite of what God has told him to do. And completely opposite of what God wants for Joseph's life. He went completely opposite. He went unto Tarshish, keep reading, uh, from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa. This ship of defiance will always take you down. This ship of defiance will always lead you down. And you will stay down as long as you are on the ship of defiance against God's will. 
He went down. Keep reading. Uh, he went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare thereof. This ship has a high cost. High cost. See, not just money, no. The ship of defiance against God's will for your life may cost you more than money. Divorce is expensive. Insurance is expensive. Bail's expensive. Dope's expensive. Booze is expensive. It may cost you money, but it may cost you more than that. It may cost you your reputation. It may cost you your reputation. Oh, it's just a drink. Yeah, could lose your reputation over it. Oh, but I, I love them. You could lose your reputation. You could lose relationships. You could lose, you'll definitely lose your relationship with God if you go against Him. You could lose your relationships with your family. There's a high cost to this ship of defiance. And then it, lastly, in, in verse 3, it takes Him away from the presence of the Lord. Away from God. Away from His presence. Away from His touch. Away from His voice. The trajectory of this ship. But look in verse 5. It, not, it, it also takes something from you. If you look in verse 5, the Bible says, Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God and cast forth the wares that were in the ship unto the sea to lighten it of them. They lost a lot of things on this ship. This ship took something from them. Jonah's defiance took something from these mariners. And if you decide, whether it's a teenager, whether it's a young adult, whether it's a senior saint, if you decide to get on the broken ship of defiance against God, it will take you down a bad trajectory, but it's going to take away something from you. You know, I just mentioned you could lose your reputation, but reputations can be restored. Relationships can be rebuilt. They can. Over time. But this ship will take something from you. More than that. It could take your purity. It could take your innocence. And you'll never be able to get that back once it's been lost. Never. Many people have gone down, got on this ship of defiance and looked at things that they haven't, shouldn't have looked at and they can never get it out of their mind. They've partaken of things that God didn't want them to do, but they defied against Him and went down that way anyway. And they have to remember it for the rest of their life. Oh, God can forgive them, but it took something from them. It'll take something from you. There's an old song that says, Sin will take you farther than you want to go. Slowly, but wholly taking control, sin will leave you longer than you want to stay, and sin will cost you far more than you want to pay. There's a cost to this ship. But look in verse 13. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to the land, but they could not for the sea wrought and was tempestuous against them. I want to say that this ship of defiance is a waste of time. It's pointless. These men rode hard. 
with all of the effort they could to get to land and they could not. And so many people have boarded the ship of defiance against God's will for their life and at the end of that journey they find that they've been in the same place for the, the, the duration of their life and that their life was wasted. It was a waste of time. So don't get on it. Don't get on the ship of defiance like Jonah did. It's a broken ship. It's a broken ship. Well, we'll look at the third one. If you turn to the book of the Acts, chapter 27. We've seen the ship of alliance. We've seen the ship of defiance. And in Acts 27, we find another ship that's been broken. If you would look at verse 41. And following into a place where two seas met, Acts 27, 41, they ran the ship aground, and the fore part stuck fast and remained unmovable. But the hinder part was broken with the violence of the waves. I call this the ship of consequence. The ship of consequence. Here we find Paul who's imprisoned. And he's on a ship headed for Rome. And out comes this storm. They named it Eurachlodon. And he's on this ship. And we don't have time to read the whole chapter, but he finds himself on a broken ship. The ship of consequence. You know, many people choose to board this ship. They choose to get on this ship. And what's sad is, well, I'll say this. Look at verse 12. In verse 12, the Bible says that they left where they were because the haven was not commodious to winter in. Why did these people choose to leave where they were? Number one, they were unsatisfied. That's usually how it starts. People see greener uh, greener pastures, greener grass on the other side. And they're not satisfied with what God's given them. And they're discontent with where they are in life. And so they begin to make choices that have terrible consequences. In verse 10, we find that these consequences could have been avoided because the preacher gave them a warning. Thank God for the preacher. You should thank God for your preacher who stands here faithfully every week trying to warn you of some choices that you might make that might have some devastating consequences in your life. You should thank God for the Holy Spirit who warns you and for His Word that speaks to us to warn us against some of the consequences of choices that we might make if we are unsatisfied with where we may be. These consequences could have been avoided. This ship didn't have to break. But they supposed that it was okay. Verse 13. Most people think, oh, yeah, preacher, I hear you, but it seems all right. What's wrong with it? And then they have to deal with the consequences of their choices. But you know, not everybody chooses to get on the ship of consequence. I find here that in verse 11, this decision to leave where they were was made by one man. You know how many people were on the ship? 276. 275 people did not choose 
to deal with these consequences. And I will say to you, brethren, that our choices affect more people than just ourselves. They affect family members. They affect church members. They affect your pastor. They affect the missionaries. Our choices have consequences that trickle down to those that are around us. And there can be captives of this ship. Paul was captive on this ship. He was caught in this ship. He did not choose to be here. And neither did the 274 other people. They did not choose to be on this ship. And not everyone chooses to be in the middle of the storm named Eurachlodon. But they still have to go through it. Caleb and Joshua did not decide to to go against and not cross over into into Canaan land. No, but they still had to walk in circles for 40 years. They had to deal with the consequences of somebody else's choices. You say, Brother Benjamin, I feel like I'm in that ship. I feel like I'm in the middle of that broken ship and I'm having to deal with the consequences of other people's choices. What do I do? Well, I can only tell you what Paul did in this chapter. In verse 25, Paul said, Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God. I'd say if you find yourself in the middle of this ship, and you're captive, it's not by your choice, and you're in this ship of consequence, the first thing I'd tell you to do is do what Paul did and believe God. Believe what he said. Believe who He is. Believe His promises. Believe that when He said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, that He won't. Believe that you can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth you. Believe that Christ is a very present help in the time of trouble. Believe that if you call on Him, He will answer you. Believe God! Believe God. And then verse 35. Give thanks. Be thankful for what you do have. God daily loads us with benefits. Be thankful for them. And with those two things, you can have joy, as the rest of these people did, while they're on the broken ship of consequence. I don't have much time, but we find our last ship in Mark chapter 4. We've seen the ship of alliance, the ship of defiance, the ship of consequence. In Mark chapter 4, we find the ship of obedience. I don't have time to read it, but in Mark chapter 4, I'm sure many of us know the story. Jesus comes to His disciples and He said, let us cross over to the other side. And they obeyed. They obeyed. They did what the Master said to do with a good attitude. And the way He wanted them to. They followed the Lord as was commanded. But yet they find themselves in what seems to be a broken ship. They're suffering on this ship. The Bible says that in Matthew chapter 8 that the ship was covered with waves. In Mark chapter 4 verse 36 the Bible says that the waves beat... On the ship. They're obeying the Lord. And the waves are beating on the ship. Breaking it up. In Luke chapter 8, the Bible says that they were in 
jeopardy. They thought as seasoned fishermen that they were going to die. They're suffering on this ship. And it seems to be breaking all around them. Brethren, I'd say to you that if this is a better ship to be on than the other three, but don't be, don't be disillusioned that there won't be suffering in this ship. Jesus said, Jesus said, in the world you shall, you shall have tribulation. Paul said, all that will live godly in Christ shall suffer persecution. There is suffering on the ship of disobedience. Of obedience, I should say. I apologize. There is suffering. There can be tribulation. There can be burdens. There can be afflictions. Jesus said, my burden is light. Yes, but it's still a burden. He said, your light affliction, which is but for a moment. Yes, but it's still affliction, brethren. And while you are seeking, maybe you're not like Jonah, maybe you're not like Jehoshaphat, and maybe you're not like that centurion, and maybe you're just trying your best to do what God has told you to do, but it just seems like you're in a storm, and the waves are covering you, and you, and the ship is breaking, and you're suffering, and there's tribulation and affliction. He said it would come. He said it would come. But oh, I'm glad that it won't sink. They're suffering in this ship, but it's not sinking. This ship may be broken. Brethren, your ship may be broken. Trying to do what God has told you to do. But as long as Jesus is in your boat, it's not going to sink. As long as you have the Master, even if it seems like He's asleep in your boat, and the waves are beating, and you're covered with, with water, and you're in jeopardy, and your ship seems like it's breaking, if Jesus is in the ship, it's going to float. Even if it's broken, a broken ship with Jesus cannot sink. So brethren, I'd say make sure Jesus is in your boat. You know, we can, do a, we can obey the Master in a lot of different ways. We can obey Him as unto the Lord, but we can obey Him. We can do the right things in the wrong way. So, brethren, we need to make sure Jesus is in our boat. Brethren, life is filled with storms. Life is filled with Eurachlodons. And if the ship that you're on may seem broken... For whatever reason, you can get out of that ship and you can make sure Jesus is on your boat. Broken ships.